Chef's Table podcast, episode number five. Finally back here after a little break. Uh, got myself a little beer in hand today, so if you hear me uh, stepping off the mic for just a second, taking a sip, got my nice uh, Stella Artois here in front of me to help me uh, enjoy this podcast even more. Uh, this week's going to be a great week. I do want to thank uh, a loyal listener, Dove Whites, for the idea for this week's podcast on one of my favorite foods, not only to cook, but to eat. And this week we're going to be talking about pasta. So pasta, I mean, honestly, we probably could talk for hours and hours and hours on pasta, but I'm going to kind of break it down just to, to a couple different areas, real quickly discuss the history of pasta Obviously, we talk about the ingredients uh, for pasta, and uh, always when obviously you're going to talk about ingredients, got to talk about talk about cooking the pasta. Talk a little bit about some shapes, and I'm going to finish up with uh, some of my favorite pasta recipes. Uh, even giving you some um, actual ingredients for one of the recipes that we make quite a bit uh, here at the house. Um, so pasta is interesting when you talk to people if you ask a lot of people hey you know where do you think pasta originated from obviously a lot of people are gonna immediately think Italy and while I think we can trace the type of pasta that we are familiar with here in the United States back to Italy actually if you look at the origins of pasta noodles you could actually trace that back to thousands and thousands of years ago uh, to to uh, Asia where obviously they were making noodles um, and quite honestly, the, the pasta that you find in, in Italy is very similar to the noodles that you see in Asia. Obviously, different flours. Um, some of the noodles, most of the noodles you find in Asian cooking are not going to have uh, eggs in it versus some Italian pasta. Most Italian pasta uh, made fresh is going to have eggs in it. Um, from Asia, obviously, eventually pasta made its way over to Europe and the Mediterranean uh, when it made its way. And if you look on the internet and you, know, you read books, uh, a lot of people say Marco Polo brought it over with him. Um, you know, I'm not really sure hundred percent on that, but obviously it did eventually make its way over to Europe and the Mediterranean. Um, and then there it was refined a little bit kind of more into what we see the type of pastas today. What's cool about pasta, if you really look at the history of it, it's fairly inexpensive, the ingredients. So, you know, if you look at the Italian culture, basically it was consumed by everyone, including peasants, all the way up to nobility. Uh, so it's got a definitely a deep history in Italy. Um, also, it's quite interesting, um, macaroni and cheese is very popular here. Well, uh, our president there, Thomas Jefferson, uh, he is credited with actually bringing macaroni over uh, to the New World. I guess he went over uh, to a trip over in Europe into Paris where he had something probably very similar to a macaroni and cheese that we're familiar with. And he actually loved it so much that he brought back a few cases of the pasta with him uh, where he kind of introduced um, noodles basically to America and kind of from there it kind of took off, became very popular. So when... We talk about pasta. Um, really, there's two main types of pasta, I guess you could say, if you really want to break it down. Uh, at least to me, there is. Um, and that would be our commercial dry pasta and then, um, obviously, fresh pasta. 
You know, if you take a look at the pasta that you probably have in your pantry at your house, the dry pasta, um, quite honestly, it's not going to say much more than flour. Uh, maybe if you, maybe another ingredient, but basically at its core is pretty much flour and water. Um, depending on what kind of pasta you buy, uh, a lot of times they will use a semolina flour, uh, which is excellent for making pasta, uh, and that comes from uh, durum wheat. Uh, and more specifically, the semolina flour is actually the ground-up endosperm, which is actually the inside of the wheat kernel. Um, and when you look at all-purpose flour, uh, that is also the endosperm of more of the more common uh, wheat flour. Uh, if you look at a wheat kernel, uh, there's really four main parts to it uh, once it's pulled from the field and stripped down. Uh, obviously, on the outside, um, it does have what's called the husk layer, which has to be taken off because that is inedible. And then once you peel that off, you're left with three main parts, which is the bran, the endosperm, and the germ. So if you're familiar with whole wheat flour, right, that is all three components together that's uh, and that's obviously why it's a little bit healthier more of the vitamins and minerals are found in the bran layer but once you take the bran layer off and you remove the tiny endosperm which is or i'm sorry the germ which is the part that would uh, germinate if you were to try to grow more wheat uh, you're left with mainly the inside of the wheat kernel the largest part and that's the endosperm and obviously, as I mentioned before, a lot of the vitamins and mineral, uh, the vitamins are stripped from it when the bran layer is taken off. So when you buy white flour, like all-purpose flour, sometimes it, most of the time it is enriched. So they'll put in some so, some sort of uh, you know uh, synthetic vitamins or whatever to uh, try to put some of those vitamins back that were stripped off when the bran layer was taken off. So sorry, I didn't mean to get on a tangent there, but uh, it's always important, you know, it's good to know what, you, what you're working with uh, your ingredients. So as I mentioned, um, you know, a lot of times in your pantry, you're gonna find commercial dry pasta um, and it's got its place in the kitchen. Um, there's definitely times to use it, uh, but if you don't have a lot of, you know, if you do have the extra time, uh, for me, uh, whenever I can, I'll, I almost always I try to make fresh pasta. Uh, and to me, that's where it's at. Fresh pasta, uh, definitely a lot different than commercial pasta. Um, the texture, the flavor, um, many different things. And whenever I can, uh, if I have time, I always try to make some fresh pasta. Uh, so fresh pasta, um, kind of basically broken down into four main ingredients. Um, once again, we're going to have our flour component. What's cool about fresh pasta is you can use so many different types of flour. Um, and you can even make it gluten-free, you know, if you want to use uh, like a buckwheat flour, amaranth flour, coconut flour. Um, you know, like in the school that we teach, when I teach... A lot of times we'll do um, a half and half of all-purpose and semolina, or some people will do straight semolina. Um, what's cool about semolina um, is it does have a higher protein content, which is good when it comes to creating creating gluten, which I'll explain in a few minutes. Um, all-purpose, not going to have 
as high of a protein content, but it still definitely serves its purpose. All right, so with a fresh pasta, we'll start off, we got flour. Then we're going to put in eggs. Okay, don't always have to. You can just stick with water if you prefer to try to keep it a vegetarian. Well, you could use eggs for vegetarian. But if you want to do a vegan thing uh, type of pasta, you would want to leave the eggs out. So we got some flour. We got some eggs. I always, almost always put a little bit of oil in my fresh pasta. And then I'll do a little bit of a pinch of salt. So there's a, if you look online, you look in cookbooks, there's definitely many different types of recipes for pasta out there. Um, but for me, and what I teach, and for me, what is the easiest to remember is a very simple ratio. And that is for every cup of flour that you use, you're going to put in two eggs, about a tablespoon of oil, and then a pinch of salt. So if you wanted to do the recipe I was talking about earlier, half semolina, half all-purpose, you would do a half a cup of semolina and a half a cup of all-purpose flour. Then you have your two eggs, tablespoon of oil, pinch of salt. And then I almost always tell the students to have a little bit of water on hand just in case um, you might need it. Um, you know, flour is a very uh, fickle, finicky ingredient. There's a lot of variables that come into play when you use flour, the way it was milled, humidity, how long it was, you know, how long you've had it, where it was stored, um, all sorts of things. So sometimes you have to add a little bit of extra moisture in when you're actually making your pasta if it, if it's too dry. All right. So we got our ingredients. Um, now one more thing here while we're talking about ingredients, I might as well go off on a little tangent here and talk a little bit more about ingredients before we actually talk about making the pasta. Um, what's very cool about pasta also is, to me, it's like a blank canvas, right? So that recipe I just gave you is like a blank canvas. Obviously, it works great just like it is and it definitely can make any type of pasta. But what's really cool about pasta is that you can add so many ingredients into it and create something different rather than just regular plain pasta. So, you know, I've done many different types of pastas before, but you know, one that comes to mind is a spinach pasta. And basically what what we would do is just take some spinach and we would cook it down and uh, uh, try to basically puree it up uh, as, as fine as we could. Um, and then basically once you have that pureed up real good, uh, then you would put that into your uh, pasta dough and you would create a beautiful, like, bright green uh, spinach. Um, you can blanch it off in water, which is probably the best way to do it because you can blanch it. You can uh, cool it down in ice water. You take it out, you puree it up, and then you want to really squeeze it out and get as much water out as you can. If you're going to do something like a spinach pasta, you got to make sure that you have a little extra flour on hand to uh, compensate for the extra moisture that you're going to be adding in. Okay, um, some of you may have seen a black pasta, like a black squid ink pasta. Um, so that's also very cool. Once again, you'd have to add a little bit of extra flour, maybe cut back a little bit on a on the egg. Um, that will give you this really nice dark black kind of seafoody uh, flavor type of pasta. I've worked with that before. Very cool. Um, also, um, you know, you can add spices in, um, I've made a fresh pasta with, uh, crushed up, 
um, red chili flakes to give it a little bit of spice and then just tossed it in a little bit of garlic, uh, olive oil, a little bit of Parmesan cheese. Excellent, excellent dish. Um, so don't be limited by just making your pasta recipe. Feel free to look out on the internet, read recipe books, see what else is out there and add flavors because it. Uh, not only do you add flavors, but you can add colors into your pasta, which can really make for a very uh, cool presentation uh, for your dish. All right, so we got our ingredients all figured out. Now it's time to actually make our fresh pasta. So when it comes to making fresh pasta, there's different ways you can do it. Um, but I almost always, when I teach, I have students make it by hand. Uh, I think it's important that you understand the process of it. And the most important part about it is that you can actually feel the pasta so you can know to make adjustments um, with it. It's not as easy to make adjustments um, when you make it other ways, like in a mixer, or I've seen people do it in a Roboku, the bet to me, the best way to do it, if you can, if you're making smaller batches is by hand. Now, let's say you work in a, a restaurant where you're serving hundreds of people a night and, you know, you're serving whatever, 50, 100 plates of fresh pasta. Obviously it's not nearly as easy to make it by hand. And in that case, it would make sense to make it in a big mixer. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take our ingredients they're all measured out um, take your egg you can crack it the two eggs you can crack it in a small little bowl and go ahead and whip those uh, whip the eggs up a little bit you can even add your oil right into there if you want uh, you don't have to though but basically we're going to take the flour we're going to put it in the table we're going to push it together into a mound and then basically take your finger and you're going to go right into the middle and you're going to make like a basically a volcano with it Make a big hole in the middle of that mound of pasta, almost right down to the table, okay? Because obviously here we got to put our eggs and our oil and our salt inside of that mound, and we don't want it to go all over the table. So give yourself plenty of room to work. Make a hole in the center of that mound of flour, and then you're going to add in your eggs, your oil, and your salt, from here, let's say you're going to make a, a spinach pasta. You, this is the point where you'd also want to put the spinach in or whatever else it is that you're going to work with. You're going to take a fork. And basically what you do is you're going to kind of brush a little bit of flour from the top into the egg and you're going to mix it up a little bit. And then you're going to move over to the side a little bit more of the top of the well, push a little more flour in, mix it up. Move over a little bit more, push more flour, mix it up. And you're going to keep doing this until you start to get uh, a very loose dough ball come together. Uh, had a good friend of mine who works here in town, Las Vegas, worked a couple different places. Uh, he actually came in and did a, a demo one time uh, for me, for my students, and uh, he suggested that you do this inside a mixing bowl so that if something happens, let's say the egg runs out, it doesn't run out all over the table, everything's together in a mixing bowl, you can still recover it um, by using your hands and mixing it all together. So that might be a little suggestion, a little tip for you as well. Uh, maybe do this process inside a large mixing bowl uh, if you think it might help you out. So once we get it together, it should come together into a nice dough ball. It's probably going to be a little slightly sticky, possibly. Uh, could be a little bit dry, but at this point here, we have to start to knead this dough that we made. And that's where we're going to push with the palm of our hand and pull back with our fingers 
and we're going to keep doing that. And, you know, it's very hard, obviously, for me to explain this by just talking. You guys can go, you can go on the Internet. You know, you can go to YouTube, watch somebody knead some dough so you get the idea. But basically, you're going to knead this dough. And what's very cool about pasta dough is you can knead the heck out of it. Uh, and you're really not going to overdo it per se. Uh, like uh, you'll create a lot of gluten. You might have to let it rest for a little while, but uh, don't be afraid about over kneading it. Basically, though, you want to knead it to the point where it's very smooth. Okay, it should not be sticky. It should not be dry. It should look very smooth. Um, once you get to that point, you're going to take a little bit of plastic wrap. We're going to wrap it up, and then you're just going to let it sit for a little while. What happens here in flour, once you add water and you start to agitate it by kneading it, you're creating gluten. And gluten is important for the pasta dough because it gives it structure. But if there's too much gluten, right, you, then it's very hard to roll out the pasta. So once you have it wrapped, you need to let your pasta dough rest. And it's, you know, it depends on how much time you have. I mean, I've let it rest for only 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes that's enough. But if you can, you want to let it rest for a good, you know, half hour, or maybe even an hour while you work on something else. All right, so we have the pasta dough made. We're letting it rest for a little bit. Um, and at this point here, this is when we're going to uh, begin to start to want to roll out the pasta. So um, I have a pasta machine in my house. Works very cool. Uh, once again, something you can go online. You can check out and see how to use a pasta machine. Uh, they work great. Um, another option is to just roll it out by hand. You know, a lot of classic Italian ladies, maybe they didn't have a pasta machine. They would just simply roll out the pasta uh, by hand. So when you're rolling out by, uh, with a pasta machine, um, most pasta machines, there's going to be uh, two, two rollers that are pushed together. Um, and the closer, obviously, those rollers become together, the thinner the dough is. And most machines, well, almost all the machines I've worked with are going to have a dial on it, and it's going to allow you to adjust the uh, width of those two rollers. When you make your pasta dough, you always want to start with the widest uh, you, you can with the two rollers. Um, you know, on my machine at my house, I think it's number 10. Um, and then basically what you're going to do is roll the, the pasta dough through uh, once or twice. And on the first time you roll it, what you want to do is you actually want to take the dough and you want to fold it over in thirds into an envelope. Okay, and then you want to roll it through the machine again. And, and by folding it over in thirds, what that's going to do is help you to get a nice tri a nice rectangle so that as you roll your dough out, it should end up with a very nice, long, thin uh, rectangle. And, you know, I think maybe what might be a good idea here for me is to do a demo on this and post it to uh, my Facebook page, and that way uh, everybody can check it out. But um, basically, you're going to keep on rolling it down to uh, one of the thinner... Um, settings on your machine. Um, usually I go down to maybe three or four and then at that point you can decide what you're going to do with it. You might leave it in whole sheets and cut it you know, into pieces uh, for lasagna. You might roll it out into fettuccine, um, whatever, tagliatelle, um, make ravioli. There's just so many different things that you can do with it. Okay, so we got our ingredients. We know how to roll it out and next we got to talk about cooking the pasta. So cooking pasta, 
you got to remember here that we're trying to get our pasta to soften up so it is edible. And you probably heard the term al dente, which in Italian kind of translates to to the tooth, right? So you want it to have a slight bite, okay? But you don't want it to obviously be raw. You don't want to overcook it where it becomes mushy. So the most important, one of the most important things to think about is always start with boiling or close to boiling very salted water. Um, some of you have probably heard of the great chef Thomas Keller and what he what his example is is to think of how salty the Atlantic Pacific Ocean is and put enough salt in your water taste your water and make sure it is nice and salty like that okay because what happens is, is when we end up cooking the pasta you have the starch granules inside of the pasta and those granules are going to absorb that hot water right and they're going to swell up take up more space and it's going to make the pasta edible right much more enjoyable to eat and what's in that water is salt right so that salty water goes into those starch granules and you can actually season your pasta inside uh, if you have enough salt in the water all right and then you'll see some people add oil into their pasta water and while I understand the thought process process behind it so that the pasta doesn't stick together, I myself don't do it. And the reason being is if you think about when you mix oil and water together, what happens to the oil? Well, the oil separates from the water and sits up on the top. So in this case, it's not serving the purpose that some people believe is to keep the pasta from sticking together. And quite honestly... You don't need the oil in there. You just need to stir the pasta every now and then in the water and it will not stick together. And the other bad thing is when you go to pour your pasta out, if there's any oil in the pan that you're draining it in, it could get on the pasta and possibly the sauce might not stick as well. All right, so for me, I don't use oil. I have plenty of very salty, almost boiling water. Okay, now when it comes to cooking times, obviously things are going to be different. With commercial pasta that you buy in the store that's in the box, you know, there's different varying times. You know, you can read the directions in the back, but quite honestly, if you follow those directions, for the most part, for me, I find that the pasta is cooked too far. So I almost always cut the pasta time down by a minute from what it says on the back of the package. And it all depends on what size. I mean, angel hair, capellini, very small, very thin pasta. You don't need to cook quite as long. If you were cooking big lasagna noodles or something farfalle, you know, you probably go more towards like, you know, eight, nine, ten minutes, something like that. So that's commercial pasta. Now, fresh pasta cooks a lot faster. Like we're talking only a couple minutes. So you just keep that in the back of your mind. You do not need to cook it eight, nine minutes or you're going to have nothing but a bowl of mush. So fresh pasta cooks very, very quickly. Now for me at my house and whenever I can, I cook my pasta, I drain it. And while it is hot, I put it into the sauce that I made. So I have my sauce prepared ahead of time. Um, I don't run any water over it. I like the starchiness from the pasta to be on top of the pasta because when I put it in the sauce, it helps for me 
and I believe that it helps the sauce stick to the pasta better. So if you're going to follow this process, make sure that you undercook your pasta by a minute or so because it is going to continue to cook when you put it into the sauce. Whenever I cook pasta this way at my, ho- at, at my house, this is the way I do it. I cook my penne pasta, I drain it, I let all the water drain off, and then that goes right back into the, uh, right into the pot where my sauce is. Speaking of pasta water, if you were to take your pasta out of the pasta water and put it into your sauce without draining it through a big container... Don't be afraid to use a little of that pasta water uh, to thin out your sauce if it gets a little bit thick. That it's got a little bit of flavor, it's salty, but it also has some starch in there so it can help uh, a little bit, uh, give a little bit of thickness to the sauce as you thin it out, if that makes sense. Uh, But you can use it, like I said, it's seasoned and it will also add some flavor in there as well. Okay, now if you're going to be making pasta and you, you know you need to serve it later on obviously then go ahead and run it under cold water drop it in an ice bath to stop the cooking process most definitely but if you're going to be eating it right away or in a very short period of time I definitely would not run cold water over it to stop the cooking process let it stay hot put it in the sauce toss it and serve it right away now pasta shapes so obviously there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different types of pasta there's no way I could sit here and kind of go all, all over over all of them, but for me, I kind of just break them down into three main types, uh, shape types. The first one we would call long, so that would be your linguine, fettuccine, pappardelle, tagliatelle, uh, those kind of long noodles. Uh, the second would be called tubular, so that's more of your penne, your uh, rigatone, your ziti, macaroni, elbow macaroni, things like that, and then the third one. It's kind of uh, everything else falls here, maybe twisted, maybe a good example, rotini, uh, gemelli, fusilli, those are some examples. Um, you know, you have gnocchi, which is uh, can be made with a potato, but still kind of falls under the category of pasta. Uh, that kind of, I guess, would fall in there as well. So, um, you know, there's just so many different shapes. There's so many great resources on the internet where you can kind of research more about pasta shapes. Um, you know, if, if that's something that really interests you. And then you know, in terms of sauces, once again, I mean, you know, you could talk for hours and hours on different types of sauces. Here's my general rule of thumb, okay? And this is this is by no means set in stone, um, and you do, by no means would you ever need to follow this, but what I found is that typically your more creamier, thinner sauces go better with long noodles, linguine, fettuccine, pappardelle, things like that. And then your chunkier sauces do better with the tubular and or the twisted. What's great about the tubular, like the penne, is that you can, you know, the sauce can go inside as well as the outside. Um, So it doesn't mean that you can't use a creamy sauce with a tubular pasta, uh, but that's just kind of a general rule of thumb. Okay, so just to finish up here, talk about a couple different of my uh, different uh, favorite pasta recipes. Um, so first of all, um, we cook quite a bit of penne or ziti at our at our house here, um, and typically I will make that with a red sauce, sometimes with meat, sometimes without. Um, 
you know, it all, it really all depends. Um, but once again, I always use that technique of having my sauce ready. I cook my pasta, I drain it, and then I put the hot pasta into the sauce and toss it and then serve it right away. Um, I love to make my own red sauce. And actually, as the summertime comes around, if I can get my hands on some cheap tomatoes, I'll buy a 40-pound case of tomatoes. Sometimes I can get it um, for three or four pounds of tomatoes for about a dollar. Um, so it's very reasonable. It costs me, you know, if I can get tomatoes for uh, four pounds for a buck, I can get a 40-pound case for only $10. Um, and what I'll do is I'll make a huge batch of red sauce and then I'll can it and then I have it for quite a while. Sometimes it'll last me almost uh, throughout the whole winter depending on how much we eat it. For me, uh, when I make a, a sauce uh, from scratch, um, basically I'll take my tomatoes um, I will toss them in olive oil, salt, and pepper, and I roast them off in the oven. Um, I'll also cut up a little onion and some garlic. I'll toss that in olive oil, and I will also roast that off in the oven. And then what I do is I'll take, sometimes I'll take a pork product, sometimes I won't. Um, what I mean by a pork product is maybe a couple sausages. Um, my favorite is to use um, a, uh, a chop um, that has a bone in it. And basically sear that off, right? Then I'll add a little bit of um, some tomato paste in there. And I will kind of cook the tomato paste along with that pork chop. And then I'll add in those um, roasted tomatoes, those roasted onions, and let that cook for a little bit. And then basically I just blend it all together. Um, and just let that cook for a while. Kind of let it cook down, let some of the moisture cook out of there uh, just to get a nice thickness. It usually takes, you know, I let it cook for a good three, four, five, six hours depending how much I'm making. And then I'll finish it off with some fresh herbs, maybe some fresh basil, some uh, oregano, some, um, you know, whatever. Italian. If I'm using, if I don't have fresh, I'll use dry, like an Italian seasoning. Uh, or dry basil, whatever. Uh, if you do use dry, if you do use dry ingredients, make sure that you cook them. Uh, cook the dry ingredient, the dry. Um, sorry, the dry spices. They need to cook for a little while to release all their flavor. The fresh, that should go in right at the end, because uh, they uh, lose their flavor pretty quickly if you cook them too long. Uh, and then from there, I'll go ahead and can it. Um, and like I said, I'll have sauce for a while. So, uh, you know, if this is something that interests you, the recipe, you know, shoot me a message on uh, my Facebook page, which is a chef's, chef's Table Podcast at chef table, Chef's Table Podcast. Uh, I can shoot you over the recipe um, that I use. If I'm making long noodles, um, you know, fettuccine, capellini, angel hair, something like that, I like to... Sometimes I like to do a little bit more of a pasta primavera with that, which is to, to me, a pasta primavera is uh, lots of fresh vegetables cooked down. Um, then we'll make a sauce with um, so fresh vegetables, maybe zucchini, onion, peppers, cherry tomatoes, broccoli, garlic, kind of cook all that. And then I'll make a little bit of a white wine, lemon juice, stock, uh, kind of a little bit of a sauce, maybe even finish off with a little bit of butter. Um, toss in my noodles plate it and then uh, from there I'll go ahead and uh, top it off a little bit of uh, shaved Parmesan cheese. Uh, very, very good. All right. Now to finish up, I'm going to share my one of my favorite recipes. Um, I actually just made this the other night and that is lasagna, which always seems to be a fan favorite almost everywhere you go. 
Now, classically, uh, most people think of lasagna as noodles and meat sauce, lots of cheese. And American style, definitely, that's a, a great lasagna. And it's kind of what I do here um, at my house when I make it at home. But classically, if you look at the lasagna, um, it really, it's nothing more than you have sauce, you have the pasta, and then you're going to make some kind of cheese sauce, or basically a bechamel-based cheese sauce. And, of course, you can go back a few episodes on my podcast and hear a little bit more about how uh, sauces, bechamel being one of them, and how you can add a little bit of cheese in to make a cheese sauce. So, classically, a lasagna is really nothing more than that. Now, what we know today, though, what we eat, is a little bit different. So for me, when I make it at home, if I have the time, I will always make fresh pasta uh, to use. And that way it cuts down on the cooking time of the lasagna. Very smooth um, texture to the lasagna when it's done. Uh, But obviously if you don't have fresh noodles, um, you can buy the lasagna noodles in the store. And there's a couple different kinds you can buy. Uh, You can buy the traditional lasagna noodles with the ridges on the side. And those lasagna noodles generally have to be cooked before you can use them. So here's a little trick for you. If you are going to use those type of noodles, you really only should cook those noodles to the point where they are flexible. Uh, Definitely don't cook them for the whole time on the package because what's going to happen is you're going to put those noodles in your lasagna, then you can go bake your lasagna in the, in the oven for another half hour, 45 minutes. And those noodles can end up almost becoming mushy. So for me, if I'm going to use those dry noodles, what I do is I cook them to the point, just to the point where they're kind of flexible, maybe four or five minutes, take them out and I'll stop cooking them in ice water right away. Then I'll kind of pat them dry on paper towels and I'll use them from there. Now the other kind of lasagna noodles you can buy are the ones that say, no cook lasagna noodles and those work fairly good i actually uh just saw some in the store the other day by made by barilla they have a no cook lasagna noodle and those are the sheets kind of like if you were to make fresh pasta there's no ridges or anything they look just like a regular pasta sheet like if you rolled them right out of the machine they're just a dry version versus uh, the fresh version those ones work really great and you don't even have to cook them ahead of time Uh, So you can definitely use those. Now, here's the thing. If you're going to use those no-cook noodles, after you make your lasagna, you have to remember that you got to get a little bit of extra moisture into your lasagna before you bake it. Because the only way that those noodles will cook in the oven is by whatever moisture you have in there. And the only moisture you really have in there is going to be your tomato sauce and maybe a little bit of moisture from the cheese depending on what kind you use. So what I do is I actually take a little bit of water or if you use sauce from a jar, put a little bit of water and shake it up to get all the extra remaining sauce in there and I pour some water maybe about halfway up to the sides of the lasagna before I bake it. Okay, and that way you are ensured that your noodles well, there'll be enough moisture in there for your lasagna noodles to absorb. Because basically, instead of cooking the noodles in a pot of water, you have to cook those noodles in the lasagna pan. And if there's not enough moisture in there, they're not going to cook correctly. You're going to end up with crunchy lasagna. Okay, now back to my recipe. So I got one pound of lasagna noodles. All right. Uh, then I let we use turkey, ground turkey, and ground pork at my house. So we'll do a half a pound of ground turkey, half a pound of ground pork. 
From there, uh, we'll use anywhere from 16 to anywhere up to 32 ounces of sauce total. Some of it is not used in the lasagna. What I do is I take a little bit of sauce, I put it in a small little pot, and I'll warm it up, and I'll have that on the side when I serve the lasagna because we like to have a little extra sauce over the lasagna. Um, so I don't know how much exactly you'll need, but plan on anywhere from 16 to probably about 24 ounces of sauce. Um, depending on who you talk to, some people use ricotta. I like to use ricotta. I've heard people use cottage cheese before, and I've, I made lasagna the other night without even using ricotta cheese. So it's not something that's necessary, but you definitely could uh, use it. Um, so that you can buy the small little container, which is usually, I think, 12 or 16 ounces, um, but one of those little jars uh, container should be enough. And then, of course, we're going to get mozzarella cheese and Parmesan cheese in there. Um, I would say about a pound or so or a mix of the both, um, maybe 8 ounces, 10 ounces of parm, 8 ounces or so of mozzarella cheese. You can buy the shredded cheese, uh, but I made lasagna the other night and I actually bought fresh mozzarella cheese, kind of like if you're familiar with buffalo mozzarella, uh, you can buy those nice fresh logs and I cut it and that was excellent and it really gave a nice creamy texture to the lasagna. So. My suggestion is to use that fresh cheese if, if you can afford it. It's a little bit more money, but I think it's going to lend a better flavor to the lasagna. Now, some people, if you're going to use a shredded cheese, they will take their shredded cheese, their ricotta cheese, and they'll crack one egg and they'll mix it all together. Maybe put a little black pepper and a little chopped parsley, okay? And the purpose of the reason they do that is that egg helps to bind the lasagna together. So what you would do is you would take your ricotta, your mozzarella, one egg, and put it in a mixing bowl, mixing bowl, kind of mix it all together, okay, and then you would use that as your layers uh, in your lasagna. You don't have to do that, um, but that's one way that people will do it. Okay, and then we'll just need a nice large baking dish. So when I make lasagna, I always start with a little bit of sauce on the bottom. That was the way I was taught. It's just something I've always done. And that the reason you do that is so that hopefully your lasagna does not stick to the bottom. So after you put a little sauce down, we're going to put down um, our layers of lasagna noodle. Okay, uh, you want to just get them side by side and try to cover as much as, of the bottom as you can. What's great about lasagna noodles is um, if they're flexible and you can break them, you could always break it in half or quarters and if you need to fill in little spots. Um, kind of like a little jigsaw puzzle if you want to say. Um, after you get your lasagna noodles down, then... We'll put some sauce, a good ladle full of sauce on there. Then we'll do uh, some cheese. And basically, you're just going to keep layering. Um, depending on what size pan baking dish you have, you may get three, four, five layers. It all depends. If you buy you know, a, a pound of lasagna noodles, typically you'll get about three to four layers. The important thing to remember, though, is that when you get near the top, you want to have basically a big layer of cheese on the on top of your lasagna. Um, so try not to finish with any sauce up there. You can do your noodles, you can do a little sauce, but it should be mainly cheese on the top. From there, it goes into a 325, 350 degree oven, and we're basically just going to let it bake in the oven until the internal temperature reaches about 145, 150 degrees. If you notice that your lasagna is not fully cooked and your cheese is starting to get to the point where it's too dark for you, put a piece of foil over the top and hopefully that should help it from going too far. Okay, once your lasagna is 145, you take it out of the oven. 
And as most of you know, one of the most important things to cooking lasagna is the point that you have to let it rest. Okay, all you made this nice big lasagna. Right now it's kind of all separated because it's so hot. Once you take it out and it starts to cool down, it kind of all starts to congeal together. It starts to compress down a little bit and it's going to give you that nice lasagna so that when you cut into it, it stays together into a square. Don't forget to let your lasagna rest at least 20 minutes before you decide to cut it and serve it. At least. I've made it and let it rest for an hour or two before I served it. It it was excellent. It all compressed together. It stayed together real well. It was excellent. So just remember, let it rest. right? And then from there, basically, cut it, put it on a plate. I'll put a little bit more sauce over the top, kind of let it come down the sides. It's nice and moist. Shave a little bit of Parmesan cheese over the top. Boom. Beautiful lasagna. And then I always have a nice glass of uh, Sangiovese or Chianti, some kind of nice, a little bit bolder red wine. Goes really, really excellent with that nice, fresh lasagna. And just to finish up on lasagnas, don't want to leave my vegetarian fans out. Uh, Obviously, you can make a nice vegetarian lasagna as well. Tons of recipes on the internet. I've made vegetarian lasagna before. What I'll do is I will use uh, something like uh, a thinly sliced eggplant that's cut the long ways, or maybe you could do some zucchini, thin sliced the long ways, or a yellow squash, and that's going to be your noodles. Um, Or you could even just use noodles, and you could substitute out the meat for vegetables. Um, You can still do your red sauce. You could still do your cheese. Okay, but if you want to do more of a vegan option, um, and you don't want to do the egg noodles, you know, you could, that's where you could use the eggplant as layers, and then you can just put in a little bit of red sauce, and then you can fill with different veggies, mushrooms, peppers, onions, whatever it might be, and, and basically it's the same thing, just gets baked off in the oven, let it rest, and from there go ahead and cut it and serve it. So I just want to thank everybody uh, for listening in again. Sorry it took so long to get another uh, podcast out to everybody, uh, but hopefully I won't be falling behind here anymore. So uh, please remember, um, don't be afraid to uh, leave me ideas uh, like Dove did so I can have some ideas for more podcasts. Go to my Facebook page at Chef's Table Podcasts. Uh, Leave me a message. Let me know some uh, future ideas for podcasts coming up in the future. All right. Thank you, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week.